Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tell Talks podcast. I'm your host, my name is Jess, and I'm one of Tell's producers. And this week I'm joined by Rachel Moll, who is CEO of SICK. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So do you want to tell a little bit, uh, tell a bit, try that again. Do you want to tell our listeners slash viewers a little bit about what SICK is? Yeah, sure. So SICK is a non-profit and our entire mission is to help close disability employment gap within the UK. We have two arms of the business. The first is Career Support Learning Centre Hub for Disabled People to access career resources that are written by disabled people um, who are really successful within their own industries and careers. And the second half of the business is a support centre for businesses who really recognise the value in hiring disabled talent and want to be more accessible and inclusive employers. Uh, so how did SICK come about? Like, How did it um, come to be set up? Because I understand it's not very old. Um, no. Is that right? Yes. About a year and a half now. Uh, I set it up in the pandemic. It was originally a passion project. Um, It was going to be just a blog of my experiences as a disabled woman living in a city. Um, And I had some um, people within my network reach out who were also young disabled women asking for work experience if I would let them basically work with me in exchange for a reference and help writing their CV. Um, so it very quickly started to become a magazine uh, that was not just you know centered around my experiences. I also found that I really didn't like being center of attention. Um, and um, yeah, it's like slowly grew then from a magazine into kind of a training platform. And that then developed into businesses reaching out saying, hey, would you mind just chatting to us about access and inclusion? We have some questions. Um, and I decided to set it up as a non-profit then in um, 21, February 21. And it's pivoted a few more times since then as we've kind of found where we are like within the market and what our offering needs to be. Um, so yeah, a year and a half later, uh, we're still slowly getting there, but yeah, that's kind of the origin story. Cool. It's so cool that it came out of what was for a lot of people a really horrible time as well. It's, it's cool that it's like bloomed out of that year that we just want to forget. (laughs) Uh, So, yes. yes. Uh, so, uh, do you work remotely largely then the people that work for SICK, is it mostly remote or uh, you've got like a centralised office in, is it Leamington Spa, did I read? Yes, yeah, so we've got a co-working space in Leamington Spa that is basically just available if somebody wants a change of scenery, wants to work in an office environment. Um, but we have uh, a small team, all of us are technically remote and on truly flexible hours, so I get Slack messages at like 3am, I'm not online then, but I get them then. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so we're completely flexible, completely remote uh, working team with the option of you know, going into that office environment if we want to. Sweet. So what do you think are some of the benefits then of re- like remotely working and hybrid working? Oh my gosh, so many benefits. What, what a massive question. I know. 
pandemic has taught us anything is that literally everybody can benefit from flexible working hours and hybrid working and working from home. So, I mean, it just allows people to decide for themselves, actually, what is my energy like today? What have I got on today? And make those decisions for themselves. You know, disabled people absolutely benefit from that. But so would single parents, carers, people in education, people working second jobs. And yeah, so the, the kind of people it would help and do, does help is endless. Yes, definitely. So do you think we're heading towards seeing sort of the back end of the 40 hour nine to five work week? Oh my God, I hope so. Me too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to put it in perspective, um, I work 20 hours a week. I run a company and manage a small team on about 20 hours um, because I have an energy disability and to keep myself healthy, that is my limit, that's as much as I can do. And I hope and I do think that we are slowly moving away from the idea that you are only a valuable and good employee if you are productive for like 40 hours a week. And really we should be measuring quality of work over quantity of work. I mean, that's just a no brainer. Uh, so yeah, yeah I think definitely companies are moving towards that and um, I mean there's some amazing data out there on Gen Z basically demanding that so I'm definitely here for that. Yeah definitely I think Gen Z it's quite easy to look I mean I hate the whole snowflake generation narrative thing that we get but mm. um, I'm ashamed to admit that I am Gen Z but <laughs> But I do think it's a good thing that because I know a lot of people as well that if they're in a job that they don't like or that doesn't work for them, we'll say, all right, bye then. Like, if you're not going to work, if you're not going to help me, yeah. it's my life. You know, you, you can't like trap yeah. people into these contracts. But even just stuff like dentists, doctors, opticians, blah, 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 they're open nine to five. So who does that work for? And if you yeah. are one of those nine to five workers, yeah. um, so it's I mean, a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, who wants to go back into the office after going to see the dentist? Yeah, like, no one, exactly. Who wants to do that? No, definitely not. I remember before I had my braces on, I had to have some teeth out and I went to school afterwards and I went to this maths lesson and half my face was normal. And I was, they were like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, why? It was just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> those are the days I was never one of those kids that came you know people that used to go for like doctor's appointments and would come back and have a Mackey's and it'd be like what the hell where's mine yes those were the yeah. days those I was one the of days. those children too <laughs> with the Mackey's or without oh with the Mackey's <laughs> I never did oh maybe because my mum worked at a primary school so she like I don't know, probably cared about my education. I mean, thanks, Mum, in hindsight, but whatever. But I would have loved a McFlurry, I think, but whatever. It's besides the point. So the uh, whole flexible hours remote working thing, obviously it's great for, uh, like you say, disabled people, single parents and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So where do you think it's sort of come from? Because it has been a very recent thing, this shift towards looking after your people um, mm-hmm. and knowing that that will ultimately look after your company. Yeah. So to do that, I think we need to just take a step back and look actually where the idea of the productive work came from. So we live in a post-capitalist society 
uh, for those who don't know, you know, what capitalism is, it's kind of just like a conveyor belt of, you know, people are born, put onto the school system, education system, churned into universities, churned into the workplace. And to have any value, you need to be a productive worker. So contributing as much to society as society put into you. Um, and that has kind of come from our industrial age where that conveyor belt took people into factories and it was producing a product. I think as we have slowly come into the digital age and the fact that we can work from anywhere at any time has started a shift into thinking, well, I can do this work that I've been given eight hours to do, I can do it in two hours. And there's this shift of actually quality over quantity. And if you have the education and the knowledge and the expertise to do something in two hours rather than eight hours, you should still be paid the same that you were going to do anyway, because it's the end product that is what has the value. And I think as Gen Z are entering the workforce in, in full force, they are also the first generation that has solely existed online. And I think that definitely has implications as to how employers are now having to really look at what does a working environment actually look like. Because, I mean, if I could work from a laptop on a beach, I'm going to work from a laptop on a beach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. We've had, had this exact discussion in the office this morning. I was like, there's some £9 flights to like random places in Europe. Why are we not just going and like yeah. getting an Airbnb together and working in the day and then doing cool stuff in the evenings? Why don't we just go? I don't, I don't know. I just think the the world has closed up so much with mm -hmm. obviously like air travel and even um stuff like the eurostar central europe is literally two hours away and then once mm -hmm. you're on mainland europe you can just like the you can go anywhere it's so easy to mm -hmm. see so many different places and it's great mm -hmm. that with remote work people can be like well maybe i am doing my emails on a beach what about it like <laughs> i'm still sending the emails i think it's great yeah. it's great yeah, and, and also I think it's important to recognise that the pandemic has definitely helped understand that that shift is absolutely possible. Um, I don't think it started that shift. What I think it's done is just bring that shift forward. So rather than this being something that's going to happen over the next six to seven years, it's brought us like right here, right now. Yeah. Um, having this conversation so it was an inevitable conversation um, but yeah I'm really glad to see that it's kind of still taking a hold if not tentatively with the demands of returning to the workplace from our government. Yes so what are some of your hopes for sort of the next few years both with SICK and in the world generally? Um, what are some of the things that you're hope I mean looking forward to yeah speak it into the world <laughs> um I, well firstly I think it's important that it's as much as I would like to say world peace um <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, oh. uh, I can only really speak to 
my lived experience as a, a white woman within the UK and what I want to see from the UK and our society within, within this kind of geographical area. Um, and what I, what I expect is going to happen is, is that inclusion and accessibility within that are going to become things that employers are going to have to do. It's not going to be something that is optional because if they don't do it, then they're most likely going to close very quickly because Gen Z as a generation, there's statistics that you know 80% of Gen Z, I think this is a study by Deloitte, said that if an organisation does not have core values of sustainability and inclusion, they're just not going to work for them. And it's not, so it, it, it will no longer be an optional thing that companies decide whether or not it's right to invest in, because if they don't invest in it, they're not going to get any talent, nobody's going to work for them, they're going to close. So that's kind of where we are aiming with SICK, is to start these conversations now, get companies realising that it's not just about disabled talent when we talk about access and inclusion, that disability is a fifth of our population, probably even more than that, that when we're talking about disability, we use a social model of disability, which is used by the UN in the UK, and that it separates impairments, so the inherent condition of the individual, with disability being the barriers that people with impairments face accessing society. And if we think about that, we start thinking about, well, who else is disabled by society? Quite a lot of people. <laughs> and once you start creating inclusive work cultures and working environments that are truly flexible, are truly accessible, you start creating cultures that everybody wants to work for and work within. So yeah, no small feat, but it's part of the conversations that we're having with, you know, companies, universities, and um, we're right at the beginning of those conversations. So I'm really interested to see where we'll be in two, three, five, ten, fifty years time. Yeah, on to great things i'm sure because you've got a lot going on at the minute do you want to talk about kind of some of the projects that you're doing because i know you have people come and write copy for you and all those kinds of things so do you want to talk a little bit about like um sort of the day-to-day -day at sick what that looks like yeah sure so we are disabled led everybody who works with us has a disability um is neurodiverse has a chronic illness mental health illness um, so it's really important for us that the voices producing the content that we use within companies but also for other disabled people that it's come from a voice that has the lived experience of experiencing what it's like to be a disabled person in the society so we work with disabled people to create all kinds of content whether it's articles on our magazine we are building like video case studies we run workshops where you know we need voices 
of people who have lived experience to just explain in like a short video what a certain barrier looks like for them and um, through our learning hub as well we are slowly kind of curating content for disabled people who want to work who are maybe already in work and really want to get a promotion retrain upskill but who's kind of left out of the conversation of what that looks like i mean myself i attended a state school up till uh, year nine and then went to a private school to do my GCSEs because the thought was they would be able to support me and my disability better. Uh, but I was never offered career advice. I was probably off sick on the day it was done and it was just never bothered to reschedule. And what that tells me as a 16 year old, very chronically ill girl is that, why do you need career advice? Nobody's ever gonna hire you. So it's, yeah, it was important to me that the Learning Hub was basically a career resource where disabled people can access things that are really written for them. There are a thousand guides on how to write a CV. There really isn't anything out there on how to write a CV when you are deciding whether or not to disclose, how to disclose, how to explain absences, career breaks. If you do want to disclose how to talk about your disability, how to share its strengths, um, so yeah, that's kind of the behind the scenes operations of, you know, why we're doing what we're doing at SICK. Yeah, it's good. It's great to have things like that out there. And it's things that, like you mentioned earlier, you can only look at things in world events to a certain scope of like your, um, like, like you say, like I'm a white woman living in the UK like you can only look at things a certain way so it's probably easy for a lot of people to look at their situation and think well it works for me so but I think well hopefully anyway speaking to the world we are heading towards <laughs> people being help more self-aware hopefully with their kind of view of the world hopefully um, <laughs> I think that's another thing that um so it's a big social media thing, isn't it? That, that people will say like, well, okay, you can have this opinion, but you need to understand where you come from with it. And people are like mm. quick to call each other out on it as well. And it's like, oh, <laughs> but yeah. What, so yeah. yeah, what do you think about that with people now um, calling each other out or put, not even calling each other out because it's not always like aggressive or anything, but sort of pulling each other up on um, each other's worldviews and things like that. It is interesting as a, again, as a white woman, you know, I'm, I'm very white, <laughs> I'm like the palest foundation colour there is, um, like image description, I've got short brown hair, blue eyes, um, quite tall, and I, um, I have a, like a dynamic disability, so some days I really don't look disabled at all so I'm able-bodied mm. passing almost um I'm also queer so you know being a part of marginalized groups as a disabled woman as a queer woman it is very easy for me to sympathize and understand other minorities and like and how that intersects across society and the barriers that other groups face I think it's important 
and what I've always tried to do is understand that different voices are absolutely needed and if you don't create the space to listen and challenge yourself and feel uncomfortable then you're not really listening because even through all of the minority groups that I belong to myself I would never be able to under, to really truly understand the experiences of say a, a young queer disabled black woman because I just don't have that lived experience and it's not right for me to use my voice to presume that I know what that's like yeah so on social media I think it's just an echo chamber of the conversations that we're having within our own communities, but put out into the world where we need to recognize that there are groups of people who will, who simply exist to systematically undermine minorities, getting recognition, value, and understanding from other communities due to racism, due to, you know, just wanting to tear down people who could really shift the conversations that we are having and undermine our political systems and social systems. I think as well it's important to recognise the stereotypes that exist on social media of, um, so speaking as a disabled woman, of disability. I'm not a superhero, I'm not your inspiration. Don't call me that. For yeah. existing as a disabled woman. You know, I'm great if I'm that because of the company that I've built and the people I've helped. But if you don't know me and that's the first thing that you say to me, I'm gonna have a problem with that. And if you don't have the capacity to really hold space for me and listen to me, then if I'm just there as inspiration for you, that's not okay. <laughs> no, no, yeah, definitely not. So if you had any advice um, for um, young people who might be uh, disabled or neurodiverse or chronically ill or have mental health problems, what is your sort of advice for those people? Say young people coming into the workplace, we'll narrow the yeah. scope a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Congratulations for entering the workplace. Um, we lack that access. We, the, the, I mean, that is, a, that is one of the many barriers that we even face. There are companies out there, really truly are companies out there who want to be accessible and inclusive and who are. And if you are in an organisation that treats you as a second class citizen, who doesn't treat you right, who undermines your experience, gaslights you, who threatens to fire you for taking too many sick days or not producing work when you've asked multiple times for help. You do have the power. There is a massive retention problem within our UK workforce right now and it is the power of the individual to say I'm leaving. I mean that also comes with you know privilege of being able to do that financially emotionally so my piece of advice is always try to be upskilling and learning find yourself a mentor doesn't have to be within your company but find yourself a mentor and 
you know, there's great platforms, LinkedIn, Meet Eric is a new like Gen Z focused app like LinkedIn. Um, and look for somebody who's where you want to be in five years and connect with them and ask them for a chat and ask them to be your mentor. There's so many people out there who are really keen to give back to young people and to, you know, mentor. So don't be afraid of putting yourself out there and, and just asking. The worst that can happen is they say no and you ask somebody else. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good outlook as well because it's easy to say, oh, well, what, what if they ignore me? Well, what if they say no? And it's like, okay. What, so what if they do? Like, you've not lost anything, have you? <laughs> what if they do? <laughs> yeah, what about it? Yeah, you're not going to see them every day, so yeah. So we're entering into sort of the last 10 minutes of uh, this podcast and entered into uh, my personal favourite part. We ask you all the pointless questions. So if you could... <laughs> just, well, it kind of ties in, actually. So on remote working, like, if you could just up sticks and move anywhere in the world... Um, where would you go to like where have you got like a favorite place or anything like that probably italy mm. somewhere by the coast purely because the food is incredible and the weather is incredible yeah but i think that also comes with that i would also probably say home because there is just comfort in being at home and building that space and there's somebody with an energy disability as much as I would love to be you know oh yeah I'll do two hours of work in the morning and go and surf and swim yeah yeah I'm gonna do two hours of work in the morning and I'm gonna sleep (laughs) yeah yeah fair enough fair enough so then the ideal situation is like uproot home bring to Italy Live in nice, <laughs> <laughs> live in nice, like hot weather, eat pasta, happily ever after. Yeah. Literally happy ever after. Dreamy, yeah. Well, I'm planning, and it, this will happen by, if, by hook or by crook, I will make it happen. I've got this idea. We want to do this pasta tour where we are, Amazing. we fly into probably Milan because it's the cheapest, um, <laughs> I said hotel then, airport to fly into. And we yeah. get texted another airport and a flight out in like X days time. And we have to get there mm-hmm. and eat as much pasta as we can. And we do a pasta tour and make a video series about it. That is my plan. And I will yeah. make it happen. Because I've never been to Italy. I'd love to, but I've never been. It's beautiful. Yes. I really want to go to, I want to fly into Genoa and go to Cinque Terre. Mm-hmm. The, um, have you seen Luca? The Disney animated yes, yeah great film love that one but yeah that's where that town is based on i think with all oh, the like yeah. colorful buildings oh, but yeah, yeah yeah oh if you look at the photos it looks amazing um apparently it's quite touristy now but um also apparently there's quite a few i know yeah ruined there's quite a few villages apparently on that stretch of coast that look the same as cinque terre but they're not um mm-hmm. crawling with tourists which is you know the ideal situation so <laughs> Oh yeah. So the other one is if you were to win the lottery tomorrow and you had one absolutely outlandish purchase, what would your outlandish purchase be? Oh my God. It's hard, isn't it? And this question stems from, I can't remember where I'd have been. Oh yeah, walking through the centre of York actually. And there's all these these boats, Mm. like private boats that people have got. Mm -hmm. I remember looking at them and thinking, 
there are so many things I would buy before I bought a boat <laughs> if I was rich. So, so what would having yours be? Having been on one of those boats, having been on a holiday for a week on one of those boats as a young child, that would not be something I would purchase. A week that is was, a long time to be on a boat, to be fair. That was a bit rough. You know what? I am a minimalist. I don't like stuff. I have what I believe to be undiagnosed OCD. That is another discussion for trying to access mental health diagnoses in this society. But stuff just stresses me out. And gosh, I sound so pious saying this, but there generally isn't, I wouldn't buy stuff. I genuinely would not just buy it for the sake of having it. Outlandish, like, there's just no purpose to it. Stuff does not bring you joy. Experiences do. So if it's outlandish to say, like, I guess it would probably be, like, a year's travelling around the world with Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is a good one. (laughs) But then I I wouldn't call that outlandish. I would say that was, like, experience. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. Because, I mean, you can buy your helicopters and your planes and whatnot, but firstly, global warming. Secondly, yeah. <laughs> you've got to I mean, then hire a pilot. you really going to get out of that. Yeah, you've got to hire a pilot, you've got to put fuel in it, you've got to store it. So it's fortunate that we're not millionaires because this is just issues we have to deal with. So there you go. <laughs> Thankfully, maybe in another life. <laughs> So, is there anything um, that you wanted to plug, or do you want to tell our listeners slash viewers where they can find you on social media and your website? Yeah, um, plug really is if you are interested in working with us in finding out about like the training and work experience opportunities that come up for disabled people, where we either like matching companies or within ourselves. If you want to hear. You know what we're up to what is going on sign up to our newsletter and that is the first place that we put everything um you can access that through our website www.sicofficial.co.uk that's s-i-c official.co.uk um yeah check out the website check out our magazine and our content you know the feedback that we get is 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 very really great to hear because it's often wow nobody's ever really said this before i feel seen which is just everything um so yeah that's really kind of what's to plug if you're a business or you are hr and have the the ear of your manager send our website through and tell them to check out our business center and um yeah help us kind of spread the conversation on access and inclusion in the workplace perfect thank you very much well thank you for giving up your time to come and be on the podcast it's been lovely speaking to you and uh for anyone that's listening uh thank you very much and we'll see you in the next episode bye for now